This podcast is a part of the Podmania Podcasting Network. Check out podmania.co.uk to check out more of our great podcasts, features, reviews, match ratings and previews spanning the crazy and diverse world of professional wrestling. And welcome to another episode of the Young Lion Cast, your fortnightly audio source for all things New Japan Pro Wrestling, right here on the Podmania Podcasting Network. I'm your host, Rob Gunn, and I'm joined, as ever, by the Joshi Mark himself, Chris O'Brien. How are you, Chris? Want to know a funny story, Rob? Always, always want to know a funny story. So, like, I pay for new japan world for my own account and we I, as you know i've been watching through g1 climax 27 i found out this morning that i wasn't logged into my account i was logged into yours well that was gonna actually gonna be my next point chris because as of january i was stealing your stardom world and you were stealing my new japan world account i didn't realize that was the that was still the thing it was an act it was an act i i i paid because um in January, I got, I got, I basically cancelled it for the month of December because fuck tag league, and then you kindly gave me a password to, um, to do some stuff for the classics, and then, um, and I barely use New Japan World, but like I use it enough to like justify the six quid a month, or like seven quid, whatever it is, and then <laughs> I was like, ah, oh, I'm gonna watch G127, and like when I log, log. Not realizing the only place I've logged into my New Japan account is on my laptop because I wanted to put it through my tally. But when I logged in on my iPad, I was still connected to yours, but I didn't realize in my head it just naturally went, "Oh, you must be logged into yours." But then, like this morning, like it does New Japan World does thing where it sporadically like logs you out even when it tells you to log you back in. And like your details were in there, I'm like, "Oh fuck! Why the fuck have I been playing for New Japan World?" <laughs> <laughs> well, that was going to sort of work into my uh, into my next bit because obviously it's it can get quite boring on lockdown um, with you know not being allowed outside. But you know, for me, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, so I was going to ask you, Chris, what have you been up to? What have you been watching? What kind of things have you been watching? Well, aside from a copious amount of reading for university and. Some would say an excessive amount of pornography. Uh, <laughs> How much is excessive? Um, I don't know, Rob. I'm going to let you answer that question. I don't think there's an excessive amount of pornography. Um, I can't well, wait I... for my girlfriend to come in after hearing that statement. <laughs> Hang on, three, two, one. No, um... I've been watching G127, Rob, because I wanted to watch wrestling in some sort of structure. Like, a lot of people, like, like they go, oh, just watch something random. And in my head, I'm like, okay, but I do that a fair amount, but also, like, for my main wrestling viewing, I don't want that. Like, I want something structured. I want something I can follow. Um, so, like, some people have been going back and watching old Raws. Some people have been... I don't know what other people have been doing, to be honest, but I've been watching G127 because I was like, oh, yeah, that's my first G1 that I've watched all the way through. I wonder if it holds up. And it kind of does. 
kind of doesn't in many ways. It's it's super weird. So like as you know, I've been updating you. You have with my rating. Um, Garth has not commented once, which makes me think he's getting really annoyed with me at this point. <laughs> but um, it's weird. So like. First of all, Ishii has apparently always been like the best thing about the G one. Yeah, I you think it's I think it's common that. knowledge that it was um the G one climax, I think either twenty four or twenty five, where he got this moniker of just being, you know, the best thing about any given G one. His first G one in his first two matches were a match with Shibata and a match with Tanahashi, both of which I believe got five stars from Elsa. So like um we and we've done that match with Shibata actually on this podcast, go back to the archives. Um but also what's super weird is other people who are having like great tournaments and people who aren't. Like for example, Suzuki isn't. Like he's only got one four star match, a match with Elgin. Like everything else has been like three point seven five or below. Which like is good, but like it's Suzuki, it should be better. Although I do know about Okada matches coming up and that's great. Um, Yoshihashi has been a weird surprise. You were very surprised about the output of Yoshihashi, weren't you? Yeah, because, like, I don't know, you have to realise when I first watched this back in the day, um, three years ago, um, I was a much different New Japan consumer. Like, I didn't go full... Like, I've been watching New Japan in terms of big events since since Wrestle Kingdom 9. Uh, but I only really got into watching it full time in 2017. Like that's when I was like, no, no, the wrestling really matters to me at this point. I'm just going to dedicate all my wrestling time to New Japan. Because um, like Ring of Honor got crap, NXT got a bit crap. Um, Progress hadn't entered my life yet, so like it, there's a lot. Oh, ICW was also the other thing. But like, so this was the first you want to watch all the way through that, and also I don't think it was on World the year before. And if it was, I didn't know about it. So, like, Yoshi, I'm like, I was still being influenced by people going, oh, Yoshihashi's boring. So, I was going into a Yoshihashi match expecting to hate it. Whereas, here, as I'm going in with like this um, benefit of hindsight, it's like, Yoshihashi's good. Like, he's just good. He's solid. Don't put a title on him, but, you know, make him a contender every once in a while. And then, like, 2018 and 2019 happened, and it's like, no, no never do that. Um, Nagata's been fun. We discussed we discussed this in the chat the other day, but like Nagata feels a very specific niche I enjoy of old men dropping people on their heads. Yeah, he's he's good at that. He's like I say, he had one of my <laughs> uh, my closet matches of the year last year against Ishii in the New Japan Cup. Oh, what a match! Like that's that one I underrated a while, didn't it? Because I remember I put forward Ishii versus um... no, it was something else from the cup. I can't remember what it was. And then you mentioned Nagata versus Ishii. I'm like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the fact that, I, that even I forgot that I existed, it's like, yeah, that's probably deserves to be there. You know, Rob, who is having an amazing tournament and it makes me really conflicted, is Michael Elgin. Well, let me, uh, let me tell you what I've been doing. So inspired by... <laughs> I literally filled both the... Uh both the sort of things that you were talking about. I randomly started just watching random matches, things like that, you know, old, old, old Japan, you know, the real classic matches from the late 80s, early 90s, um, anything involving Masawa, really, or Tiger Mask. Um, and then I was like, well, I'm, I'm like you, Chris. I wanted to watch something with meaning, with a storyline, something like that. So I ended up watching <laughs> the G1 Climax from the following year, G1 Climax 28 for <laughs> the exact same reason. It was... 
the year that I actually took the time to watch the G1 Climax, I got caught up in G1 Climax fever. Um, but I missed quite a few days because of, you know, because of life, really. And uh, especially early on in the tournament. And I'm just, I'm loving just going back and seeing this. And I know A Block is a massive slog because, you know, lol Maccabee. But Michael Elgin is literally propping up that block. He's so good, isn't he? Like, every time he enters, in my head, I'm, I turn into Raymond Rowe. I'm just like, oh, fuck him. Fuck Michael Elgin. <laughs> and he starts rattling, and I'm like, oh, fuck, I love Michael Elgin. He, he's such... If you take, you know, whatever we you know know about him outside wrestling, if you take that, put it to one side... His wrestling, just his wrestling. I mean, the opening match of night three, which I've just finished, um, he takes on Hangman Page. And I think it's about 12 minutes. And it was great. It was really, really good. A really, really enjoyable, hard-hitting match. It lasted 17 minutes. It was just, it was such good fun. Elgin looks incredible. Hangman makes him look brilliant. And... The match to and fro, and he's got such good pacing in these matches. And, you know, he's always been one of those in, like, these little competitions in these G1s to have those closet matches that you think, fucking hell, that was really good. Um, his match with Omega um, in 27, I've given um, 10 out of 10. I saw that, yes. Um, so I've just said I'm three days in. I'm just about to start day four. Um, which has got the which is Omega versus Goto as the main event, um, and obviously the final of your G one is the same as the uh, main event of Night Two, Omega versus Naito. And... Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean Goto didn't win it? Um, I thought the G and Goto stood for G one, or the other <laughs> way around. Um. Yeah, but I watched, like I say, the Naito versus Omega match, and oh my god, it was fantastic. Oh, yeah. The thing is, though, that's the... They, so they had, three G, they had three matches in three different G1s, like um, blocks in 26 and 28, and then finals in 27. And my problem was 28, and I loved it, and at the time I gave it 10 out of 10, but like with the benefit of hindsight, it's nowhere near as good as those two matches. <laughs> See... I it's it's not as good as the final from twenty seven. That that's a match no, on its own. But also with twenty six, there's more story. There's more st- because it was later in the G one. This is make or break with both people. With Naito being the favorite in that block um, at the time, like people seem to forget how like much of a surprise it was for Omega to win. Like everyone I heard, I, like I was following, was saying either Shibata or Naito was going to win. Mm. Um, so like. The surprise of that sort of got um, made that much bigger, and then like just the fact that it was the finals made um, the second one bigger, and then that one there was like it was the first match. So like in reality, both guys have time to cl- either claw it back or lose that point. So I agree with you. I do agree with you. I mean, they got the subtle storyline of Omega's comments during the press conference because this was peak dickhead Omega, um, and now he said basically that uh, Gaijin's worked hard than the Japanese wrestlers. And I thought that was quite a nice subtle undertone to the match about how Naito took personal issue with this. Um, yeah, it was, it was... I 
thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed the match. It's been match of the tournament of the three days I've watched. But um, yeah, keep up with uh, our match ratings, podmania.co.uk. I don't know how many days you've got left, Chris. I think it's five, including the finals. Um, Hold on. I am currently on night 14. I've only to watch the main event of that, so like... Yeah, there's like three or four nights, including the finals. I'm still considering whether or not I'm going to watch all the finals, because like, it's mostly tag matches. And like, it was set me up for disappointment, because I remember, being, remember how excited I was, and I thought, ooh, we're going to see Suzuki and Algin in like a long title match. And then it ended up being the worst title match I've ever seen, um, the worst singles titles match I've ever seen in New Japan while I've been watching but still. Is this the, uh, this isn't the Texas strap match, is it? No, it's a, a lumberjack match. Oh, right, okay. It's super, it was super weird, right? So, like, it went, it didn't need to be a lumberjack match to begin with, because A, literally the only reason Elgin has the shot is because um, he beat Suzuki in the G1. B, Elgin has no friends because he's not in a stable. So, like, we were just getting, like, <laughs> like, but, like and also we had a lumberjack match early in the year with Goa, who does have friends because he's in chaos. So it's like, okay, why? Ah, <laughs> uh, just yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, maybe just watch the final then. You've watched the G one, just watch the final. Um, so coming up this week on the Podmania podcasting network. Before we dive into uh into these matches. Um, so the Wrestling With Jonas podcast, they, he released an interview with Alex Talbot, or known as Xander Calloway. Um, he's also the GM and owner of the wrestling charity Wrestling Ford, the wrestling charitable promotion. So go and check that out. That's now up on the site. It was released on Tuesday. Um, obviously, this podcast will be released at 10 o'clock GMT on uh, Wednesday, the 22nd of April. Coming up then, we've got the podcast, uh, the Podmania podcast, reviewing this week's AEW Dynamite with the final quarterfinal matches of the TNT Championship. Um, on Sunday, myself and Chris will be back with a retro version of the Stardom cast. Obviously, Stardom isn't producing any live content, completely understandably. So me and Chris are taking it upon ourselves to review the critically critically (laughs) acclaimed trilogy of matches between Ayo Shirai and Maya Iwatani. So Stardom, go on. I should stress, I did try to get him to um, watch more recent matches, and he said no. (laughs) So I... I imagine there will be more time for Stardom Classic content in the next few months. Um, but the matches we are talking about, in case you want to watch them before you tune in on Sunday, their match from Stardom Gold, May in 2016, their match at Year End Climax 2016, and then the final one at Stardom Galaxy Stars in 2017. So do join us for that on Sunday. It will be up at 11pm GMT. And then finally, on the site, you can check out our new retro review for WCW Super Brawl 8, which had the rematch between Hogan and Sting because they botched the finish of Starcade 97. Um, So that will be up on the site uh, on Monday. So do check that out. Um, Finally, I am joining uh, John on the Wrestling with Jonas podcast to do a retro review of SummerSlam 1992. 
so that should be really good. Obviously, the famed Wembley main event of Bret Hart versus British Bulldog. So looking forward to that. Best of that card is wank, though. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm not looking forward to the rest of the card. I'll be perfectly honest, but uh, there's there's some interesting bits that I'm looking forward to uh, to talking about. Any show with Papa Shango on is uh, a great show, in my opinion. Um, shall we start then, Chris? Shall we start looking and delving into some of these matches? Sure, I guess. Fantastic. I mean, that is why we're here. That is the primary. <laughs> if we didn't. <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be like, and today we're going to talk about Akira Tawe. No, we're not. Fuck off. <laughs> well, let's segue using Chris's uh, very pointed segue there. Um, we're starting with an All Japan pro wrestling match from the golden age of All Japan 1990 uh, tag match. We're looking at the match from the All Japan pro wrestling October Giant Series 1990, night two from the 30th of September 1990. And it's the team of Akira Tawe and Jumbo Shiruta versus Mitsuhara Misawa and Toshiaki Kawada. So basically, uh, the basic premise is this was a start to feuds that would carry on. Uh, Misawa and Jumbo had had a singles match earlier on, and it was very, very good. Um, Akira Tawe had previously been part of... Um, Misawa Stable, the Super Generation Army, uh, but he defected to Shirutagun, uh, basically valuing uh, Shiruta's sort of mentorship over his friends in Misawa and Kawada. And those are the two main storylines heading into this match. Tawe's defection and Misawa and Shiruta. Now, I'll be honest, Meltzer gave this five stars. So I went in, perhaps wrongly, assuming to have this blowaway match. Every Masawa match that we've reviewed on this channel and every Kawada match that we've reviewed on this channel, we've been full of praise for. And this match is great. Um, I don't think it's five stars, but that's my own personal opinion. Chris, I will throw to you, though. What did you think of this match? First of all, can we quickly talk about what's on the rest of this card? Because there's some weird oddities on here, from what I'm seeing. For example, um, Dynamite Kid in North Japan um, taking on the Milenko Brothers. <laughs> yeah, very strange. Um, Johnny Johnny Ace and Kabashi versus Dan Spivey and Kamala. Um, but but I, don't, I think for Kamala in our time with a different person. Oh, that's that's really disappointing because the idea of the giant Uganda monster Kamala slapping his belly at Kabashi before Kabashi legitimately murders him, I would have watched that for sixteen minutes. Um, and then we have um, Andre and Stan Hansen taking on um, Abdul the Butcher and Giant Baba in the main event, which is such a random main event that it's hard to put into words. You're and telling the fact me. That we had that, and the fact that we had that follow-up for a 45-minute draw. A 45-minute time limit draw. Oh, just, yeah. Anyway, this match, Chris. Yes, 45-minute kayfabe. In reality, in reality, it's more a 43-minute <laughs> yeah. draw. <laughs> Which I don't know why. That's it, so weird and random. Yeah, the time it worked out about forty three twenty nine. So I'm not entirely sure why. I don't know whether they just ran out of moves. <laughs> we finished early. <laughs> it's like ring it, ring the bell. 
Um, yeah, no, this match was fine. Honestly, this match was the wrong match, but I couldn't find the match I initially picked out for you. <laughs> like, okay, so backstory. So how we normally um, pick these matches is Rob doesn't let me pick anything. Um, not even on my birthday. But then um, we'll have five categories. Rob picks three of those categories, and then I give him three options in each category. So this was um, a tag team category, and like he, I went, I put in Miracle Violence Connection versus Kawada and Misawa um, in the tag league finals, which is a really good match. But I couldn't find that. The only ones I could find were sort of the fine matches, but like not really good. So I was like, can we do this instead? Is it at the very least? Um, historically significant so yeah i enjoyed i did enjoy this match um it struck me as i'm watching it this is definitely a five star at the time but without sort of more modern sensibilities of course it's not going to translate no i agree um i think it's it's a great match it's hard hitting i will fight anyone who tells me that the scariest thing in pro wrestling is kawada looking at you without his front teeth I think that is the most terrifying thing to look at. Um, you know, take your Brock Lesnar's, take your Shibata, take your scariest wrestler in the world. Kawada bearing down on you with no fucking front teeth is worse than any of those, I'm, hands down. I'm going to dispute that and say Suzuki. <laughs> this is Kawada. He's got no fucking teeth. He looked Too like great. an absolute menace. You have yet to see the match where he drops Masawa on his head on a powerbomb. But anyway, um, yeah, I do agree. At the time, definitely, Kawada's super fucking scary. But it's weird, though, because like, um, the Saruta gun dynamic was very similar to the um, Tenru and Kawada dynamic from a couple years ago um, and actually a couple podcasts ago. Mm. In the match against Hansen and Gordy, um, Gordy, like um, uh, or most of the offense Tawei got was either by happenstance or because Sabrina set it up, and like it's especially with like sort of Tawei's pudgy face, it does look like Jumbo's his dad and is beating up the bullies for him. It was very strange because even though Tawei was, you know. It... He defected. He left. You know, he that makes him a de facto heel. But he yeah. was getting a lot of babyface sort of kept, reaction. Because I'm not being funny. He was the punching back. I mean, he was burst out. Bearing in mind, again, this was a 45-minute time limit draw, which I didn't know happened in all Japan, bearing in mind the length of some of these matches. But he was burst open within seven minutes of this match. Yeah. It wasn't long at all. Um, Blood was literally crimson mask for the majority of the match, and then randomly, come the ending, all the blood had gone. It was like some, <laughs> It was like if Jumbo was his dad, his mum had come to ringside and just gone, come on, clean yourself up now, love. Come on, you look a mess. If, if you do remember, um, Kawada did drag Tawe backstage during the match. <laughs> that might have been where he was going, yeah. <laughs> Come on, yeah. mate, you need to sort this fucking shit out. Yeah. Um, first of all, I need to ask this before we talk about more of the match. This is your first time, at least for this podcast, um, seeing Tawei and seeing Saruta. What are your thoughts? And we'll start with Tawei. Um, 
you can tell that they were priming him to be, mm-hmm. you know, the not the next big thing because he was the same sort of era, but a huge thing. He wasn't there yet, I don't think, in this sort of, especially in the Masawa and Kawadi era. And I think they dominated the match. Um, he was, he's, he's a, he is a baby face. You can just see that he is going to be best as that champion that comes from underneath, having been dominated by someone like a Kawada, um, and coming and winning, you know, overcoming the odd, the odds. I didn't, again, this is my first time seeing Tawei. I didn't see anything over the top special here, but again, he spent the majority of the match as Kawada's personal punching bag. So, you know, I would need to know more. It's like, you know, we look, we're looking at this match in relative isolation. This feud went on for years. So, you know, yeah, there was like, loads of these of, matches. When you think of the first match you saw on this podcast being um, for Kawada, being when he was a young lion with um, Saruta, and then seeing, and then we jump forward to like Masawa's and Kawada's biggest match. You saw a massive change. You're not going to see as big a disparity, I think, with Tawe. Tawe definitely did get better, but like he was definitely the most, he was definitely the fourth pillar. You know what I mean? Like he, yeah, first way, you know, when normally when naming the Beatles, but someone always forgets George Harrison. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I know like, exactly what you um, mean. Ringo had a memorable name, and then it's John and Paul, and it's like, oh fuck, who's your... like? It's always like we people just get into reveals. It's kind of like that, or like you, you know what I mean? Like it's like if Mike Matt Jindrak had been the fourth member of Evolution, you know you'd struggle to remember, isn't it? Like he's just he's there, but like he's not quite on the level of a Kawada or a um, Masawa or a. Uh, like not a goat, but he's like a solid hand. Um, but Suruta, what did you think of Suruta? Yeah, fine. He was the muscle to Tawe being battered. He was the hot tag. Again, you know, it was. Say that entirely again. He was the ace at this time. Really, in 1990, was he indeed? Yeah, um, Masawa wasn't like for context. He beat he got his win back against Masawa, I think like a month later at Budokan, and then like it would the feud would go on, and then it got stopped because of his um, because of his injury. But like essentially, what happened was Suruta was meant to stop being ace by now. He was meant because um, Tenru beat him, and Tenru was going to be his um, the new ace. But then Tenru fucked up. Fair enough. So, like, we're like, oh, fuck, Chiruta, you're going to need to be ace for a little while. And then, like, um, all Japan are very much one for this slow road to um, overtaking Saruta. So, like, it took a while for, like, the Masawa and the Kawadas to beat Saruta. Like, but effectively, the story here was being played up that Saruta's, like, the old ace getting sick of all the young guns trying to take his spot, which, like, he plays perfectly. He does. I mean, just before this... Um, he'd literally, as you said, just meant he just lost the Triple Crown title. Um, he lost it in June of 1990, which ultimately will be his last run with the Triple Crown. Um, do it, you know? It's it. Do you know who beat Jumbo oh, know who... for the title? 
it was Hanson, wasn't it? It was not, because I thought it was Hanson as well. It was Gordy. It was Gordy. Yeah, no, because during this time, um, Baba, um, so, oh, we're going to, thought, oh, we're going to need two, um, more than one thing drawing people in, so, like, every, this feud between the star and the jumble really don't, doesn't need the triple crown. But if we put it on Hanson, we can have him feud with all the Gaijins in one, on what, some cards, and then have Masawa and Jumbo headline other cards. Mm. Which, in fact, is a really good way of looking at it. Because, like, the feud, this feud didn't need the title until later on and yeah it really it really worked and like this isn't the best example of jumbo i'm gonna have to show um show you some of the suit ma- well one of the suit matches or like but some of the some more like the before the sour like before the beginning of time type thing um yeah but anyway we've went on about who these people are long enough the match <laughs> like the match started like weirdly, um, weirdly like quick. Like Jumbo was throwing a backdrop driver on Kawada within like the first five minutes, and then it went into an extended heat heat sequence. And when I say extended, I fucking mean extended. It was a long time. It was a long time. And yeah. This is in a forty-five minute match. It was it was bloody long. Um, I did enjoy, and I don't usually enjoy this in tag team matches. Um, because I prefer tag teams to be a cohesive unit. But obviously, Tawei had only just defected mm. to uh, Shiruta Goon, so we'll let him off. I actually enjoyed it. With the storylines going in, I really enjoyed that it did feel like two singles matches. You'd got Kawada and mm. Tawei, and then you'd got Misawa and Jumbo. And you got those two matches, yeah. those two storylines that went through this entire match. I mean, it's it's a typical All Japan match. There's a lot of strikes, a lot of stiff strikes, a lot of kicks, a lot of lariats. Um, but that closing sequence where the bell goes just as Masawa is turning to go for the pinfall, it's beautifully timed. It's just a shame mm. that it wasn't completely clear to start off with that that is what happened. <laughs> <laughs> because Masawa, um, I think it was Masawa, could have been Kawada, um, pinned Tawe about uh, 20, 30 seconds before this. And it was the closest of close two counts. I'm, I'm talking the referee pretty much had hit his hand on the mat. And I was like, I'm sure that was a three. I'm sure that was a three. And by the time I'd finished this inner dialogue I'd got going on with myself, the bell had gone. So I was like, has the ref just made a mistake and it was actually a three count? What what the fuck is going on? And then realised, obviously, it got a time limit draw. What I do like there is like you're blaming the match for you being distracted by yourself. <laughs> Doesn't take a lot, my friend. Um, well, I will say, like, we complained about this like, extended heat sequence, but like, when it got to the end, like, stacked this up against any of the great um, tag finishing sequence from recently. Like, it's up there. Like, just bomb on top of bomb on top of bomb on top of bomb. And, like, just uh, there's more urgency, especially in Jumbo, which is why I think he made such a good ace. Um, you could see, even in, like, something so basic, like his knee strike, how desperate he was getting to get this smashed done. Yeah. I mean, Jumbo was great. Jumbo was great. He potentially... This, 
as you've already mentioned, potentially wasn't the greatest snapshot of Jumbo's career that we could have watched for this segment. But of this 45-minute match, again, this got five stars from Melter, and I can absolutely see why it got five stars from Melter. You know, it's just one of those matches that you can just see him gain off on. But for me, of this 45 minutes, maybe 15 of it, was high pace, holy shit, this is five-star match. But we've mentioned that extended heat sequence, and there was, especially maybe 27, 28, 29 minutes into the match, you could tell that they were filling time. They knew they got to reach the 45-minute time limit. They were waiting. So... It's a shame yeah. because even though, you know, it's a well worked match, that closing sequence, as we've already mentioned, of this match, go and check out the ending sequence and Tawei getting bust the fuck open at the start. The middle of it, you can pretty much miss out, Chris. I don't think I'm out of line by saying that. Yeah, like, nothing... Like, there is no real selling of whatever limbs the target hits at the end of the match. And so, like, that, that's what you need to do in an extended heat sequence to, like, make it worth it. To, like, you need to fight for them to finish, which it didn't. And it's a shame, really. Because, um, obviously, if this was a half an hour match, even, it would be great. Um, like, well, it is great, but, like, it would be unreal if it was like, a half hour match. But because it because it sold so, so much, it's hard to give it above an eight for me. Yeah, I've I've given it an eight as well. Um, just going on to Tawei and you talking about how, you know, we'd see a huge difference in Tawei, and obviously, you know, he is considered one of the four pillars, um, along with Kabashi, Masawa, and uh, Kawada. He didn't win the Triple Crown Championship. He only won it once, which I didn't realize. I thought he'd won it twice. Um, he only won it once, and he didn't win it for another six years from this point that we're watching yeah. here. He'd always be, and to, you say that, you have to realise that Kabashi Masawa and Kawada had yet to hold it at this point as well. Um, he would go on to hold the Tag Team Championships with Jumbo um, two years later in 1992. And then between 93 and 96, he would hold the World Tag Team Championships with our old friend Kawada. So he'd hold those three <laughs> times. And then a further three yeah, times from 97 to 2000. Yeah, later in the King's World canon, um, Misawa and Kibashi um, were more mates, and then Kawada and Tawei became a thing. Because to be fair, Saruta had to stop wrestling not long, um, had to start slipping down the card not long after this um, due to illnesses. So that he really could, like, there was really no other option. And to be fair, I need to show you one of those four pillar tag matches because they are fucking unreal. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe that can be. Uh... One of the options for next week. Uh, sorry, or next yeah, the time. Only reason, the only reason I hold off is because they're so fucking long. This was a 45-minute time limit draw, mate. I'm not going to lie, I forgot it was 45 minutes. I thought, I, in my head, I knew it was a draw, but I was like, oh, it would have been a half-hour draw because it, it wasn't a title match. No, 45 minutes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we've awarded this match eight stars. Again, go and check out Podmania for our match rating. If you want to watch the match that we've just talked about... Um, the link is on our Twitter page, so at the Young Lioncast, go and check that out 
Um, it is. I think the video is 47 minutes, and I thought, ah, the match will probably be 30 minutes, and then it'll be 17 minutes of, you know... Um, Promos. Yeah. That's normally what happened, yeah. Um, but no, no. Uh, we were still going at 45 minutes and something, and I was like, what the fuck is happening? But yes, so if you want our advice, go and check out the closing, maybe 10 minutes of this and the opening five, but otherwise... It's not the best example of these four. Right, Chris, let's move on then. So we've talked about a match that was a snapshot in time, a snapshot in a rivalry. Uh, This couldn't be any different if it tried. Um, This was literally a one-off dream match. Um, It had very little build. It was just a case of, we want to book this match, so we're going to book this match. Uh, we're talking about our old friend, uh, a veteran of the classic match review. We seem to cover him every single week in uh, Kenta Kabashi, and he is taking on Samoa Joe from the 1st of October 2005 in Ring of Honor from the show Joe versus Kabashi. So that goes yeah, to... T- <laughs> I always did this up to like 2011, will we? Like, even in, like, 2011, they had a show called Daniels versus Richards, which I'm going to argue seems less prestigious. But, <laughs> yeah, because we also had, like, Joe versus Punk or whatever. Like, they just did this. And to be fair, before we go into, like, the match and, like, what little story it has, can we quickly talk about its card? Because it's so fucking weird. Yes. Oh, I was looking at the rest of this card earlier. Go on. Right, so we opened with Claudia Castiglioli taking on Coke Cabana in a, in a weirdly short match at 7 minutes 50. And then Daniels taking on Isiria, who I have no clue who that is, and I'm going to click on him, it's going to be somewhere now. Nope. Um, and Matt Seidel, so that seems fun. Like, there's so many people you either haven't heard of or people you would not expect to be Ring of, in Ring of Honor. For example, um, James Gibson, a.k.a. Jamie Noble, taking on Jimmy Wanyan. Oh, I was so happy to see that Jimmy Wang Yang was on this card. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jimmy Rave um, with Prince Nana, who would who would keep a job for a long time, despite it's like he's a West African prince, but you do not specify what West African country. <laughs> do you think people need to know what West African country? Nah, be all right. No, Africa, Africa's a big continent. Nah, like, it's all just... It's all... <laughs> all just one prince. Yeah, no, fucking... God, Africa is still a place that wrestling is not taught to represent um, in any sort of class, have they? You mean, like, but then... Akeem the African Dream? Indeed. <laughs> that is such... Because <laughs> like, it's been, like... An African person who's part of his heritage that hasn't either been a joke or a stereotype. Um, I was going to make a joke Kofi and say Labias, but maybe not. <laughs> um, do you know what? No, I, I can't really. Uh, Justin Gabriel. I know he's a white dude from South Africa. It's very hard to feel good about that one. <laughs> We don't really talk about the apartheid on this podcast, do we? <laughs> no, it's a very, it's a, it's very rarely brought up. But I can't imagine why. <laughs> <laughs> um, the semi-main uh, before... on this card, Chris. Talk us through the semi-main, yeah, mate. 
Jack Evans versus Homicide. My God, it's like they it's like they thought about the, we're going to be owned by Jim Cornette one day. What match will he never book? Okay, let's book it. They, I mean, they'd pretty much blown their wad by calling it Kabashi versus Joe. But aside from the McGuinness versus Jay Lethal pure tile match, and you know, an early stages Cesaro versus Colt Cabana. And okay, the three-way dance, Christopher Daniels versus Matt Seidel versus Ezreal. I don't really think much of this card holds up, do you? No. Like, it is literally a one-match card by by its almost very definition. But, yeah, like, I have no interest in seeing the rest of this card. Um, 2005, that's weird, because surely Punk still with the company. No, no, like, 2005, nah, probably not then. But like, oh yeah, the summer of punk would have been gone by then. But yeah, like this is still like, where's Brian Danielson? Where's um, Jerry Lynn? Where's where's all these people? They didn't need it, mate. You'd got Joe versus Kabashi. Did you not read the title of this show? <laughs> God damn it, Chris! Have you seen who's accompanying Joe? Yeah, Jay Lethal. What the fuck is that? Why? <laughs> the thing is, my, the version on YouTube that Ring of Honor put up has no commentary, so we literally have no context for why like, Jay Lethal was there. <laughs> to be honest, uh, the the version that I watched and the version that, again, is on our Twitter page, um, it's A, Japanese commentary, and B, Mrs. Joe's entrance. So I didn't realise until about... 14, 15 minutes in that Jay Lethal was even out there in the first place. To be fair, the same with the version on, because I didn't watch that version, I watched the version on, um, like, they, because it seemed high quality, they put up, um, Ring of Honor put up a free, it's weird, like, so, you probably saw leading up to, like, the anniversary show, which unfortunately got cancelled for obvious reasons. Um, they were putting up like trilogies of like the best of like they put up three Brian Dunson matches, three Tyler Black matches, etc. etc. So we got to the three Samoa Joe matches, and like in my head, like Ring of Honor, Samoa Joe, Danielson, Kenta, Kabashi, CM Punk, um, just Kenta, like all like so many classic matches. Um, Mauricio, I think they must have had a match. Um, Nigel McGuinness, lo- loads to pick from. Um, Austin Aries. What, what do they go with? Um, Kenta Kabashi was with Joe. Okay, good start. And then two random matches from 2015. Why? <laughs> <laughs> God damn you! <laughs> it's like you were so close. So close, when you're honest. So, I want to love you. Let me love you. Um, <laughs> it's funny. I, so, like, I re-watched this match this morning. And, like, I used, I've watched this match, like, half a million times, right? It's one of my favourite um, Samoa Joe matches. And... I said, we have very little to talk about here. What's the what's the story? <laughs> there's, like, there's no story to talk about, about really. It's just... It, it's like what I do in Fire Pro. Like, I wonder what would happen if Kenta Kabashi took on Tai Chi. And of course, Tai Chi wins. But... Yeah, like, there's nothing to talk about. Apart from... Apart from the Samoa Joe, um, Kabashi wanted to play a Jap- stereotypical Japanese heel because he didn't think anyone, anyone would know who he was. Of this match, the moment that really, really struck me, and I imagine it gets talked about quite a lot, but as Kabashi 
enters that arena or enters the um where was this it was at the um, the, the hotel grand ballroom in the new yorker there you go it was only in front of 800 people which i didn't realize no but it looks it looks much bigger like um the interviewers are citing um some like it was on the stone cold podcast and stone cold was like oh like only about two thousand people. But just talk about the crowds you'd be drawing in the atmosphere when you think two thousands are the small crowds. Yeah, that's mental. Um, but the first thing that I wanted to talk about was the look on Kabashi's face as he entered, because the noise level and the chant of because obviously Kabashi is an enormous deal in Japan. Obviously, yeah. you know at this point he is the biggest thing or one of the biggest things in pro wrestling nowhere and he's treated like god and you know rightly so but he doesn't because japanese crowds and american crowds are very very they're two very very different entities um you you know talk to anyone who's ever been to the tokyo dome and they will tell you exactly the same thing it's very respectful you know crowds get into it absolutely but they show respect by being a lot quieter however american crowds and especially this crowd are loud they're chanting they were so into this match and for kabashi to come out into this place where you know you've just said he thought no one would know we was and this place erupts with chants of kobashi kobashi and he just the look he looks so humbled and it was Mm -hmm. amazing it was like so if the the interview that you're citing he said he wanted uh to play a heel because he didn't think anyone would know who he was yeah he thought it was going to be like if mr fuji came out (laughs) so basically what you're saying is this was like the Hogan versus The Rock from WrestleMania 18. Because yeah, by exactly. the end of this, Joe was absolutely the fucking heel. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, well, he was a heel in Ring of Honor. Just Ring of Honor fans don't give a fuck about the heel face dynamic. <laughs> He's a good wrestler. I shall cheer. Yeah, to be fair, we, we brought this up um, in the group chat earlier. And like this is when Gaff finally joined in the conversation. Where, like, between the years of 2004 and 2007, I think you'll find it very hard to find a better wrestler in the world than um, Samoa Joe. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, I will, before I talk about Samoa Joe, actually, because I do, I want to talk about Samoa Joe. This crowd, wrestling crowds get a bad rap, and most of the time, rightly so, because a lot of the crowds at the moment are cunty crowds. This crowd, this crowd, without the level of noise that was consistent throughout this 20-odd minute match. Like, they yeah, didn't like let up the entire yeah. match. It was like watching a Brazilian football match. It well, Honestly, this, has, this probably put this match up two stars for me. Because, mm. you know, as great as the Dream Match tag was, I feel like it was probably... Leaning on that tag a little, you know, a little bit too much. There wasn't a lot of story to get invested in, you know. But you know, you don't need that every time to appreciate a good match. But the crowd was so electric from the moment Kabashi entered the um, entered the ballroom to the moment that they both left. Absolutely astronomical noise, and like I say, elevated the match <gasps> massively. Um, 
Is that peak Joe for you? <laughs> Wait, name a, if, if it's not peak Joe for everyone, I don't quite understand what people are seeing in like 2008 going to draw a fucking cock on my face Samoa Joe. Um, and then like 2009 to 2011, I do not care Samoa Joe. And then 2012 to 2013, I kind of care, Joe. Then 2014 to 15, no, actually, I don't care. And then in NXT, where he did care, but we didn't give him any time until he won the title, and that was actually better than people remember. But, yeah, like, can he, is there a better... Like, okay, so, like, just think of the matches. Punk, Danielson, Kabashi, Aries, um, AJ and Daniels, um, just AJ on his own... Um, Christian, Sting, Angle, um, Liger, Necro Butcher. Don't um, quote the like Necro Butcher ma- match in that list. Have you seen the Necro Butcher match? Mate, don't don't sully that great list of awesome matches with the fucking Necro Butcher. Right, I'm going to defend the Necro Butcher match. It's actually pretty good. I say pretty good. It's actually really good. I genuinely thought that was going to be the end of your defence of it then. Hey, I'm going to defend it. It no. was okay. No, seriously. Like, but there's actually a really good story going in where Joe wants defend, um, revenge on Butcher because Butcher attacked some of Samoa Joe's trainees at a Chikara show. Um, Butcher had like a, a stitch for a big Japan show. He worked a couple of nights before. So like he went, he was split open fairly easily, and then Butcher decided. So you know how a normal person on say a scoop slam or an exploded suplex off of the apron would flip themselves over so they can take the brunt of it on um, the back, um, on their back. So like while they may be hurt, they won't be seriously injured. Nakamura Butcher decided, nah, I'm not going to do the flip. I'm just going to land on my head. And that makes it awesome. Weirdly, yes. It's a part, like that part of me loves that match. It's a part of me I hate, <laughs> but it's a part of me I to accept that. <laughs> so we've like, you know we've officially talked, Chris, about Necro Butcher more than you've talked about this match. Right. Okay. Back. Squeezing it back to Smojo. Like, <laughs> can you think of anyone who that collection of? high-profile matches in such... Um, high-profile amazing matches in such a short span. Like, I know, I'm sure someone's going to cite, like, Marafuji and Kenta, who have, who had, like, an insane 2005... Um, Hiro- um, Hi- bleh, Maroshima or Nigel or Brian. And, yeah, but, like, so with, with someone like Brian, most of his best shit was coming from his feud with Nigel. And same with Idol, actually. And they both did great things, but, like, for the most part, that's where the best stuff was coming from. Whereas Joe was having great matches with everyone. Like, and anything Joe touched at this point turned to gold. I mean, pretty much the only matches from Impact Era as TNA that I've seen are Joe matches. And the Joe matches that I've seen are matches with Kurt Angle and the three-way between himself, AJ, and Christopher Daniels. And they are Mm. outstanding matches. And this is the reason I wanted to talk to you about it, because it makes me so sad that 
Joe on the main roster of WWE, they have this legitimate giant, this legitimate badass, this person who can spit on the microphone and everyone pays attention, who is fucking terrifying in the ring, who put on a good match with Brock Lesnar, who had a good yeah, feud I... with Brock Lesnar. He had, he had like a, the best feud of AJ Styles' um, title reign, but you know he's relegated to commentary. It just it yeah, it's it's it, it is disgusting. Like um, even if we take his like it, like say we're going along the logic where what happened outside WWE shouldn't matter, which like in terms of when you're picking who you're going to push, it kind of should. But like we'll take. We'll take WWE's um, ass backwards um, logic there. Um, just within, the, the, I, I don't watch a lot of WWE nowadays, as you know. But a period of like a month last year, where I watched SmackDown with Kofi Mania and the fact that Ray and Almas kept having amazing matches. The one thing, apart from the Ray and Almas matches and the Kofi stuff, that I remember from that run of watching SmackDown last year was a promo that Joe cut where he came out and like he started like. Like a script promo, was like, oh, but Randy, you keep smirking at me, or make sure um, the Viper gets your clawed or whatever. And then <laughs> Jeff Hardy tries to speak, and he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. pretend like this is an AA meeting and shut up while I'm talking to the group. Oh, and it's it's Orton's face. And... Yeah, no, it's Orton just corpse thing. <laughs> it's like he couldn't handle it. And then like um, just went up to AJ and went for AJ. How's Mindy? Wendy. So yeah, even just taking the WWE stuff, he should be much higher on the like even now. He he's he is capable. He, like he's had some of Roman's best matches. Again, he had the best matches of AJ Drain. Um he had a very he's had a very underrated time with NXT because he was um he kept dropping the title back to Nakamura, who then would ju- drop the title back to him. It was all a bit weird. Um, but yeah, I literally don't get why people aren't pushing him. And like going on to this match, he managed to weave a story out of where there really wasn't one. Like the story going in was his dream match, but the story developed into Samoa Joe um, getting loaded of his veteran coming in and taking in all his thunder. So he started just being a cocky asshole because Ring of Honor is his house. Absolutely. And this. This is made even better. You've you've hit the nail on the head there by saying, going in, no story, or very little story. But then for Joe to weave one, and for the match, the dynamic of the match to change, pretty much on the fly, due to the reaction that Kabashi gets, he walks through the door, or walks through the curtain, is even better. And Joe just goes full cock from the start. You know, you've got the, the handshake at the start, which is, you know, fine. But from that moment, from that first handshake that he's pretty much obligated to do, it's in the name of the promotion. There's nothing. Yeah, there's nothing after that. I've been watching Ring of Honor TV um, today while I've been doing work um, in the background because Ring of Honor is very good to not pay attention to. And um, on the tail of the tape, it was El Generico versus Jay Lethal. (laughs) And at the bottom... It was like code of honor. Yes, no, and I'm like, what? <laughs> that's quick... But like, that's actually really good because it sets up who's facing who's here. But like, yeah, it's essentially an obligation. But yeah, after that, 
um, Joe just acted like an absolute trick. And then, like, hitting really, 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 really hard started happening. Like, can you think of... Um, I can't think of many matches we've done in this segment that hit the, like hits as hard as this. Consistent. I mean, again, like I know, like I know, I know that like we've watched like the la- last time we had Kabashi versus Misawa, where um, we literally did a tiger suplex off of a ramp, or um, so like matches where Misawa has been dropped on his head, but like we didn't stop. <laughs> It like wasn't just, just that, Chris. It was the fact that, you know, a lot of people will say this was a very, very chop and strike-heavy match. And it was, absolutely. But both these two are very good at it, play to their strengths. Um, Walter's made a career out of it. Um, but consistently, these chops were the hardest chops. Like, at no point were there any pulled strikes because of fatigue or I, mean, I imagine Kabashi is probably feeding off the adrenaline in the crowd at the moment. But even the machine gun chops, which is a spot from Kojima, I fucking despise, and you know that. But this, it just felt so right for the moment. Oh. It's not just that. Kabashi's chops, fuck. Like, holy shit. Like, we've discussed this before, but, like, literally, so, like, he always hits those chops that hard, right? Like, he hits them, like, with the strength of a normal chop, just ultra-fast. He literally had to get emergency surgery on both shoulders because of how often he did it. If you're having to have surgery because you are hitting people too hard, that goes to show just how... And I know this is a really weird thing to say, but the fact that they were both so fucking sweaty made it look so much better because especially off Joe, shit, sweat was fucking flying off him with those strikes. It looked amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And then, like, normally when a match supposed to be outside, like, you know what's going to happen. People are going to be thrown about. Um, and you're like, and, like, normally, like, especially when you've been through a G, uh, G1 or T, your mind sort of shuts off during that segment. But no, because Joe kills Kabashi during with a fucking running kick during that segment. Also, did you notice the Ole chance? I forgot that that was a Joe thing in Ring of Honor. <laughs> I didn't notice the match, I must admit. Um, um, but what so, I did notice was, you know, yeah. you speaking of on the outside, um, was that Kabashi literally chopped Joe over the top of the barricade. <laughs> he literally <laughs> chopped him that hard that Joe took a back bump over the fucking barricade. It was great. Um, this is the one part of the match um, because some of the crowd can see what's happening. And, like, that just happens at indie shows. But, like, I'm, like, I'm not being funny if you're going to a Ring of Honor show. You probably should know that. But, like, the crowd shouting, we can't see shit. And it's like, calm down, come on. <laughs> it's the one bad part of this crowd. Um one final thing I wanted to talk about, and it sort of builds on what we were talking about with Joe, because you're right, it's difficult to talk about a storyline when it was woven into the match and it was, you know, a pretty much off-the-cuff thing, but the fact that Joe was working in Kawada and Tenru's signature moves during this, just to piss Kabashi off, to re-emphasise how little respect he had for this, effectively, this giant of the industry who's walked onto his patch was was heel work at its most superb. 
just absolutely incredible and i really 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 enjoyed that i enjoyed that almost as much as his face when he's cinching in those fucking submissions he's an animal chris yeah and the one thing i think he should have done and it's the one missed opportunity in this match in my opinion is he does the island driver which is an emerald flotion yes that would have been imagine a the pop and b um the fucking heat Oh, it would it would have been insane, um, but unfortunately the match did have to come to an end. Um, despite the crowd saying "Please don't tap, please don't tap, please don't tap," which I thought was a really good chant, um, it did have to come to an end with Kenta Kabashi eventually putting Samoa Joe away, not with the burning hammer, unfortunately, but with the lariat. Twenty three minutes and forty two seconds. What a lariat, by the way! He decapitated Joe with this lariat, which. So- was like, incredible. It's, it's rumoured it's that whenever a really good lariat is hit, somewhere Stan Hansen just mutters under his breath, nice. <laughs> just tips his cowboy hat, spits into a spittoon next to his chair, and <laughs> just carries on. <laughs> he, he just tips. He just tips his cowboy hat. His wife's just sitting there going, "Stan, what are you doing? You wouldn't <laughs> understand here." It <laughs> just looks at her and goes, "Lariato." Oh God, I can't. I'm now just imagining at the fucking Dan Hansen at the point of climax just going, Lariato. Oh, oh, why did you say, oh, that was so sensual. I hate that. Oh, <laughs> oh, God. Oh, I'm sorry to anyone listening to how sensually Chris just said that. Um, Match rating, Chris. What are you giving this? Here's the thing. <laughs> Because of the lack of story and because of um, like all that, like I didn't want to give this match ten out of ten. Like I watched this match a million times. I was like, okay, I'm gonna find like the hole, and I didn't find it. <laughs> I have to give it a ten. <sighs> like I have to. I love this match so much. Now knowing Is the background one... as well, Chris, with that interview that you just mentioned, and how they again the dynamic of the match changed entirely in the middle of the match. It's got to be 10. It has to be. It's, they played that crowd as perfectly as they could play that crowd. And like, unlike, say, something like Hogan and um, Rock, if you did, for some reason, have no crowd noise, this match would still be, would still fuck. It would still fuck so hard. Sure. Yeah. But that's just what people, Say nowadays, Rob. I don't. I don't think they do. Um, but yeah, certainly this match would fuck. It doesn't sound right when you say fuck. This match fucks. Is is it with the right? You said Lariato in a sensual voice. Shut up. Um, Yeah, but (laughs) specifically to weird you out. That's the difference. It succeeded. Um, So from all Japan to Ring of Honor, and we finish this show uh, back in familiar territory with New Japan Pro Wrestling and New Japan Pro Wrestling from 2017, Chris. So the G1 Climax that you were watching era. Um, But we're not watching the G1 Climax. This is a tournament. It's the best of the Super Juniors 24 night 12 from the 31st of May 2017. And the block 
B match, I believe. No, Block A, sorry, match between Jushin Thunder Liger and Tai Chi. Now, you might be thinking, oh, Chris, you finally managed to get him to review a Tai Chi match. But there is a lot of background story to this match. Chris, talk me through it. Okay, so effectively, um, well, first of all, I kind of want to go over how this year was, because this year was really good in the A block. The B block, in my opinion, was a bit weak. And when you look at the players in B block, you sort of see why. Sorry. Um, So we have, um, like, in B block, you had Tiger Mask, Despy, Bushi, Kanemaru, Valdezor Jr., ACH, Kushida, and Taguchi. And you see that, and you know straight away when you see that block who's going to win the block. Yeah, there's no one touching Kushida there. But also, <laughs> it was also booked so annoying, annoyingly transparent that it hurt. So, like, to create the whole thing of, oh, Kushida might not get through, um, they had him lose, if I remember this rightly, they had him lose his first three matches, and then, like, just he happened to be able to beat the right people to go through because literally everyone in that block finished on six points. Yeah, the top four in that block, Kushida, Bushi, Taguchi, and Kanemaru, all finished on eight points, with Volador, Tiger Mask, ACH, and Despy all finishing on six. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, what they said was, this is a block of people who are pretty much of the same caliber and Bushi, um, and <laughs> and they're all going to... I think what they've done there is they've said, right, well, okay, we've got Kushida, who everyone thinks is going to win this block. Why don't we put all the people of a similar sort of talent around him and they will beat each other and, you know, Kushida might have the odd slip up and he won't win. So I can sort of see what they're doing there. It's, it's uh, when you look at block A, which has got, you know talent coming out of its ears that'll be a good block now that'll be a good block in 2020 yeah um that, but like most of it's went up to heavyweight or left the company at this point but yeah no but like block a just fucks so hard up like it's unbelievable like um just to go over um the, the other matches on this card just to illustrate that we have Taka versus dragon lee which is strong not great um, Marty Scale versus Ricochet, tasty, and and Will Ospreay versus Hiromi Takahashi. Now going into this day, Rob, um, Tai Chi, Dragon Lee, Ricochet, Hiromi, and Osprey all had the um, all had the opportunity to go through, and it all sort of depended on who won where. And I, if, if I remember correctly, Tai Chi had like the correct amount where like. He'd be a favourite to go through if he could win his match. And also going into this match, Jushin Thunder Liger was winless. Just going back to your first point, Chris, Tai Chi had got the tiebreakers on Osprey, Dragon Lee, um, and I think it was just Osprey and Dragon Lee. So if Osprey had been Takahashi, which he did, um, and Tai Chi had been Liger, Tai Chi would have gone Liger. through because of the tiebreaker with Osprey. So Ricochet had to beat Skull. Um, if Ricochet, I, I'm trying to f- remember who had. Ti- did Ricochet have the most tiebreakers? 
Um, Ricochet beat Takahashi. Ricochet did not beat Skrull. Uh, Ricochet did beat Taichi. Um, and he didn't beat Osprey. Right, so basically Ricochet and Takahashi to... But there was a lot of moving parts, is my point here, Rob. With um, that, not even damn near, like just half block having the chance of winning. Which is like, whereas with um, the Kushida block, it was annoying because of course Kushida was go- going through. Um, in Tai Chi, you have someone who is just A, the biggest heel in the junior division, which we're going to go into in a second, and B, a Super Jacob finalist. Um, in Dragon Lee, you have. Um, a big luchador who might create and also the champion at the time, Hiromu Takahashi's biggest rival. Um, you have Ricochet and Osprey, who would have been perfect for um, the expansion that was just happening in New Japan. Like, this is when they started making moves internationally. Later this year, they had their um, G1 Supercard in um, San Francisco. At the Cow Palace, and then you have Hiromu, who's the champion. So, like, all these people would have been good choices to go through to the finals anyway. So, like, it's not like in the G1 where it's like, oh, well, Zach has a chance on the last day, and it's like, of course, they're not going to put Zach through, but like, here. But, like, it was just so perfectly booked, it's hard to explain. And then on top of that, every, no one wanted Taishi to go through because he had already ruined the J Cup the year before. <laughs> Basically, Taichi was a bell end. Taichi was the El Phantasmo of 2017. Yeah, except um, Taichi, had, because of how chaotic that block was, had more chance to go through. <laughs> right, so that pretty much sets the scene for you. What also, the last story point, you mentioned Liger, only, well, he had he was winless at this point. This was also his final best of the Super Juniors. So, uh, coming into this, he was winless. Taichi was looking to go through, which nobody wanted at all. And Liger well, was on his last legs. Well, Rob, I, I wanted. But anyway, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, in, for, for the majority of people, yes, they didn't want Taichi to go through. Yeah, like, and like this was Liger's last stand. And it's almost po- co- um, poetic in a way, because it was the last stand defending the division he... Tries to he tries so hard to make it more legitimate throughout his time in New Japan, and then you have Tai Chi, who like was basically making a mockery of the division by how he was booked. So like it's the, the most poetic thing in the world. And then this match started with Tai Chi, Tai Chi's normal bollocks. Yeah, to start with, I mean Liger had come down on his own. Uh, to again an astronomical pop, um, and Taichi yeah, come down with. Impossible... I think it's impossible not to pop when you hear the. Um, and Taichi come down with Despi and Kanamaru because he's Taichi. No Mio Abi though. I keep I keep forgetting she's a 2018 thing. <laughs> oh mate, she's so 2018 Mio Abi. <laughs> Well, yeah, and then it starts with, you know, just there is, as a match, as a standalone match, it's crap because there's so much. Go back. 
it's average as a standalone match. Yeah, you've just got Tai Chi bollocks, you've got hanging with the ring bell hammer, um, there's chairs, there's bollocks from Kanemaru and Desperado. There is infinite ref bumps and, you know, interfering with the ref. But it's not. this is one of those matches where it's not necessarily about the in-ring action. That's not necessarily what builds this match. Because if that was the case, this match would have got no reaction from the crowd. But the crowd, not to the same extent as the Ring of Honor match, obviously, but the crowd was so invested in this match. And it's because of the storyline and how well this storyline was booked. Because they booked a legitimate heel in Tai Chi, not a, oh, he's really cool, let's cheer him heel. No, he was despised to the point where it's taken till 2020 for people to go, actually, Tai Chi's not bad in ring. He was at, they used to chant Tai Chi go home at him for three years. One of the reasons he's so hated is because he had a very public um, thing with his wife where he cheated on her. And in Japan, that's like, it's not it's not seen very well over here, but like over here, you're not going to be spat on for it. In Japan, that's that can literally get you fired. Oh, that's what happened with Taka. That's well, yeah. But to be fair, that's what happened with Taka, and they were like, oh, "Okay, we're not going to use him." And then he was on TV the next week. I'm like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, and then they've just and slowly that, taken that, him off. Yeah, they're slowly gone, and now he has his own promotion where um, fucking Micah came from from Stardom which is just the weirdest factoid. But yeah, um, what I did like was like Liger would keep getting the upper hand and then he'd keep getting cut off. Like, it's such simple shit, but like in something like Super Juniors, it just doesn't happen. Yeah, it was a very like, old like, style versus like, new style. Yeah, no, it's a case of... And Super Juniors, when stuff like that happens, it's when, like, in terms of when anything getting cut off, it's because it's someone like... Marty, who um, will who will cut you off by targeting a limb, or same thing with Kachida. Whether it's here, it's just a case of <laughs> Kanemaru was in the right place and swept Liger off to stop the cannonball. Um, and then um, Tai Chi got brutal and started. He was humiliating. He wanted to humiliate uh, Liger, and so. Kanemaru and Despi held him down and Tai Chi got scissors. And I remember when I first watched this thinking, oh fuck, he's going to stab him. <laughs> that was where he went. No, I thought he was just going to cut the mask off, which he, he sort of did. Yeah. Um, but no, no because I, it's, it's, it's a super weird bit of trivia, but I watched that Bound for Glory with the I Quit match where Christopher Daniels kept trying to stab AJ Styles. So like in my head, it's like, why would you produce scissors if you want if you're not going to stab him? But no, he just cut the mask. He cut. He exposed Liger's chest and basically went, "Look, old flabby man." Took the mask off um, to try and like humanize Liger. Um, then cut off like some um, some of the horns, some of his hair, and then it was Kashida and I think Taguchi. It was yeah. Taguchi, you jump. Yeah, and like held back Hanamaru, held back Despy. And then Liger launched a comeback. And, like, I don't think the comeback would have been half as effective if he didn't have that visual representation of being, like, brought down to earth. It was almost like, like he back. was decaying. No, yeah, that's... Yeah, no, exactly. It's almost like... If this is Liger's um, last stand, this is how you put forward 
Liger's last stand because oh my god did I believe it yeah absolutely so you know not only is Liger's in-ring career decaying in front of him this is his last best of the super juniors Taichi is saying no the character the he is a man this character is not only a man but he is degrading in front of you and just that word humanizing Liger because you know there's so many people who don't know what Liger's face is like because his identity has been so well kept. I mean, I know there are photos out there now, but, you know, not... Well, but also, like, Heath and Liger, Liger always had his face exposed for, like, battles underneath, like, a million miles of face paint. Exactly. So, but, like, it's a weirdly cool look as well, like, the normal Liger mask with the face exposed. Yeah, it was. It was a really good look. Um, <laughs> like, I want... On an action figure of like that specific version of Liger, it really does invigorate Liger. Though once the bullshit has stopped with the cavalry arriving in the form of Kashida and Taguchi, um, oh it... that, well, that power bomb where he almost fell over. Yeah, you could obviously. I know there's not actual hatred there, but you could feel, you know, the kayfabe hatred in Liger for what Taichi not only was trying to do to him, but was trying to do to the division. The division that Liger had basically spent his career building to this point where it's a legitimate stand side by side with the heavyweight division. And Taichi mm-hmm. was making a mockery of it. So you could feel the hatred coursing through him for that. And then that brain buster. Oh my God. Just... Again, it's my specific love of old men dropping people on their heads. (laughs) I don't know where, I have no clue where I developed this, but I do blame um, Yuji Nagata. Um, Yeah, just, it's super weird. Like, you know what it's like? You know, remember when we reviewed Takeover Brooklyn last year and we said that um, Bailey versus Sasha Banks is not special if you just describe what happens? Yeah. because of everything around it, that's what makes it special. This match, that's what made it special. Like, don't get me wrong, in terms of like what happened between the, um, what happened between the ropes, yeah, probably not. Like, even that night, the Osprey Takahashi match was brilliant because, of course, it was. Um, Osprey and Kushida from the finals. Um, the Osprey Ricochet match from uh, both the Osprey Ricochet match and the Osprey Skill matches. Um, Skill and Hiromu. Obviously, if you're wondering why I'm failing to name anything from Block B, have you fucking seen who's in Block B? Um, hmm. Yeah, so, like, but like, this is my favourite match from the tournament. This is the match I remember most from the tournament because of all the story things around it. That's what made me love this match. Yeah, so not only does Liger beat Taichi in 10 minutes and 2 seconds, but... Taichi can no longer go through. He's been eliminated <clears throat> because Osprey then beat Hiromu to move to 10 points. Liger avenges Taichi, sort of takes one for the junior division. The junior division is sort of saved from the scourge that is Taichi. And also Liger then rides off into the sunset of the best of the Super Juniors. Again, a tournament that he'd spent so long pioneering along with the Super, uh, the Super J-Cup. He rides off into the sunset with a win. So even the win itself is multifaceted. Yeah, like, I don't know, this match has layers, and like, it's weird when a match, matches layers isn't within like, the match itself, especially in Japan. But like, 
you look, we've been looking at like King's Road stuff where that shit got so layered that like fucking, it was like that, it was like the fucking monkey brain meme. But then here, it's just, there's so many outside factors for it. Of course, this match was great. And every time people talk about, um, complain about like Tai Chi bollocks, I point to this match going, no, it can be good. You just need to give it time. Yeah, I think the problem is with Tai Chi, he, you know, it was every match. And he's a lot better now, now that he's a heavyweight. I mean, just look at the G1 just gone, G129. He had a great tournament. Yeah, his- a really and to the point where he started to turn people round at the tail end of twenty nineteen and uh, sorry tail end of twenty eighteen into twenty nineteen. Honestly, with with that, I think it's partly because throughout the whole tournament he was basically just doing his Kawada impression, which is what he should be. He should just be just make him Kawada. I would love to see that. <laughs> it's all I want. I want to see Kawada. With, I want a little bit of Taishi bollocks because otherwise, what the fuck is Miyawabi going to clean up? Just. Making Kawada in his tiny, tiny also, pants. Because to be fair, that's also amazing. Like, I think that's added so much to his gimmick, the fact that he has like a groupie, basically, who keeps saying sorry for him. <laughs> um, rating then, Chris. What would you give it? Okay. Like, we discussed, like, if this match didn't have so many layers of storytelling on it, I would honestly rate it, like, between a four and a six, honestly. But with all these layers of storytelling on it, I, I'm stuck between an eight and a nine, and I'm waiting to see what you give it. <clears throat> right. So You're going to say seven. <laughs> I did originally. I did say seven originally, um, based solely on, you know, I, from an in-ring standpoint. But, and again... I think we've said the word layers 53 times since we started this match. Um, so, we've said it so much, but it's become layered. <laughs> it, it is an eight. It, it is an eight. Just because of the storyline, the amount of things coming into this match and going out of this match, the impact it had, and what it symbolised, you know, I think I think it's an eight. It's just... The fact that this is the match we're most to talk about on this... Well, it's not. I think we spent longer on the tag match because we had two new characters to introduce. Um, yeah, to be fair, I did sort of waver um, when you had to pick towards this because I did pick a WCW Liger match and then a PWG 10-way where he tells Tommaso Ciampa to stick his finger in his ass and then Tommaso Ciampa is just there going, so Jushin Liger, I don't want to. <laughs> And you can now see why I didn't. Um, and then he slowed down. <clears throat> so, are you alright with eight stars then? Yeah, like, honest, honestly, I think nine is just my Tai Chi bias coming out, to be honest. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, ladies and gentlemen, that brings to an end this latest installment of the classic match review thank you so much for listening in um don't forget you can talk to us on twitter at at young lioncast same with facebook um check out match ratings and the podcast archive www.podmania.co.uk please go and subscribe to the podcast leave us a five-star review we are literally everywhere um apple podcast Castbox, google podcast spotify stitcher we're on all the big ones go and check us out uh, we'd really appreciate that uh, you can talk to me on twitter at at real rob goodwin chris where can they find you 
And Bushi. <laughs> and Bushi, two ends. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for listening, guys. Don't forget, uh, myself and Chris will be back on Sunday, 11pm GMT, to do the Mayu versus Io trilogy on the f- episode 4 of the Stardom cast. Thank you so much for listening, guys, and we'll talk to you guys again soon. Bye.